So don't you just love it when Jesus gets all apocalyptic like this, when he say, starts throwing tables around or calling people hypocrites and vipers, or talking about fire and strife and division as if it were a good thing? Today's gospel lesson leans a bit on what I like to think of as Jesus' own family values. Brother will betray brother to death, and a father his child, and children will rise against parents and have them put to death. Maybe that sounds like your own family. I hope not. But this is not the cozy Prince of Peace, Jesus loves the little children, Jesus wants me for a sunbeam Jesus, a popular image. This Jesus, to use the phrase from C.S. Lewis's The Chronicles of Narnia, is not a tame lion. Now Jesus isn't exactly anti-family in other parts of the gospel. He forbids divorce. He bartends at a wedding. Well, actually, the list of pro-family things Jesus does or says is pretty short, while the list of anti-family things, from the teenage Jesus telling Joseph to butt out of his real father's business, to forbidding would-be followers from saying goodbye to their families or burying dead parents, is actually a lot longer list. But you have to think about what family meant in Jesus' day. The family was the smallest indissoluble social unit in the Middle East in late antiquity. Your identity, your prestige, your authority, and your social sphere were exactly equal to that of your family. Family shame or family honor were shared equally by all members, and changes in family honor or shame meant changes in the social status, marriage opportunities, power and wealth of everyone in the family. We tend to think of those social values as being personal. We don't hold the shortcomings of parents, siblings, or children against people. And we think of families as relationships of choice, as varied in makeup as people are varied in needs and desires. But in Jesus' day, you could not freely join or leave a family. And those without family, involuntarily, such as widows and orphans, were reduced to slavery or worse. And those who abandoned the ties of family became less than human and were ostracized by the entire community. So when Jesus talks about dividing families, he's talking about something more than just family feuds and brothers going off to make their fortunes in the Yukon. He's talking about the destruction of the entire social order, the abandonment of the system of relationships, social hierarchies, and power that gave meaning and identity to his community. You see, Jesus isn't anti-family. He's after a new world order. In fact, Jesus is against pretty much anything, traditional family values, the government, organized religion, that stands in the way of God's purpose. He's eager to put the torch to any institution that interferes with his mission. Small wonder that the two most powerful institutions of his day, empire and temple, want to do the same thing to Jesus that he wants to do to them. And we really face a similar question today. Institutions tend to be very powerful at self-preservation. And we like our institutions especially church and state, to be strong and stable. 
we get a lot of stability and a fair amount of identity from the institutions we claim as our own. Phrases like, I am an American, or I am an Episcopalian, have more power to comfort and strengthen than, I'm a citizen of the world, or I'm a person of faith. And Jesus' message challenges the institutions that define us in our day just as much as it challenged family, temple, and empire in Jesus' day. He might as well have spoken of parishioner against priest, parish against diocese, national church against worldwide Anglican communion. And one question we have to ask ourselves in the light of today's gospel lesson is whether we have made an idol of our institutions or of unity itself at the expense of the gospel. But we should be careful to note that Jesus never tells his followers to sow division or to create enemies. He says that his words will cause division, that spreading the gospel will create enemies. But what he tells his followers to do is the opposite. As you go, proclaim the good news. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Cure the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons. Be received without payment, give without payment. It's kind of remarkable that after all these years, things haven't changed much. We still fight about feeding the poor and healing the sick. We still argue about who Jesus meant when he told us to welcome the stranger and how to love our enemies and how to give without expectation of return. And I would suggest that the reason we argue and more than argue about these things is not because they're hard to understand or nuanced in their meaning, but because of the cost of following these instructions. And I don't mean the financial cost, although feeding the poor and healing the sick can be costly in that sense, but the cost to our sense of self, to our ability to believe in our own worth, when we evaluate that by measuring it against others, the cost to our own self-righteousness. Because those are things that Jesus does ask us to give up for the sake of the good news. The news that God loves you enough to become human and to die for you is meant to be our only source of self-worth. And if we truly come to understand that about ourselves and abandon our habits of weighing our worth against others, then we have a hope of seeing their worth in the same way as bearers of the image of God, as equal beneficiaries of Jesus' sacrifice, and therefore far too precious each and every human being in the world to allow them to go unfed, unhealed, unprotected, or unloved. Now in this tense and uncertain time, as Christians, it should be unbearable for us to see the denial of the worth and even the humanity of people by those with whom they have disagreements. We should be outraged when anyone suggests that any person's right to life and safety can be diminished by their previous actions, their profession, their politics, race, or sexual orientation. Jesus reserves the right to judge to himself. And he bids us instead to love and care for our neighbor, for the stranger, 
and for our enemy. This is, to be sure, hard and costly work, but it is the work we are called to, and it is the only work that will heal the brokenness of the world and bring about the reign of God that Jesus promises us is very near. And it will take all of us and more to do this great work. The laborers are indeed few, and we need to both pray for more to join us and to get back to the harvest. Amen. <laughs>